It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the What's Real podcast, episode 141. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my co-host, cohort, co-conspirator, and my co-tag team championship partner in podcasting, the J himself, Jared Bajoris. What's going on, the J? Oh, you better believe your boy, the J, is as pumped as ever. Hey, for another brand new, fresh-assed rendition of the What's Real podcast, the dub our question mark. As pumped as can be, the Pulsation Nation is in full effect with the J as it needs to be. However, do have to get a little bit sentimental because this week here on the What's Real podcast, episode 141, is Thanksgiving 2022. And at the outset of the show this week, hey, Ed, I just got to say I am very thankful for our What's Real family. Uh, first and foremost, of course, uh, all the supporters, our friends and family, but uh, specifically regarding the show and the podcast here, I'm very for thankful for my co-host, Hey Ed, and what you do and what you mean to me in our real lives as well as our podcasting world. And of course, our producer, the wizard behind the boards, Cam, very thankful for you guys. And I got to start there for a special Thanksgiving edition, 141 of What's Real. But let's do it. The J's still pumped, even though I'm starting to tear up. Absolutely, the J. We are giving thanks this week here on the show. Uh, ditto to you, my friend, as well as to our producer, Cam. I'm very thankful for you guys as well. Uh, and obviously thankful to our listeners. And I'm I'm just thankful to be here at this point. So, uh, But we have a great show lined up for you here this week on the 141. Uh, we are going to get into some NFL this week, as we normally do with some picks and predictions. Steelers versus Bengals, fantasy football, and our weekly power rankings. Uh, we're going to go into the world of professional wrestling again with Tales from the Territories. Uh, we are talking the Pacific Northwest, a.k.a. Portland Wrestling. Uh, another rendition of Fridays at Midnight this week uh, with a movie from some friends of ours. So we'll get into that later on. We're talking Blood Freak from 2020. And, of course, we're going to be talking some goofs and much, much more. So uh, let's just get into it this week. The J, uh, this past weekend, uh, we actually got together. Uh, and it was also AEW's Full Gear pay-per-view. Uh, that was from the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey on Saturday, November 19th. So let's take a look at that. We were going to review this in full, but uh, because of, let's say, technical difficulties, we didn't get the opportunity to watch the entire show. So we'll talk about what we saw and everything and what we didn't. We're also going to talk about because, you know, we got it like that here on the What's Real podcast. So uh, the pre-show was loaded up. This is on YouTube. I was actually going to watch this and I didn't get a chance to watch it before we did the show. Uh, but the best friends team of Trent Bretta and Chuck Taylor, along with Orange Cassidy and Rocky Romero and Dan Housen, defeated the team of the Factories, QT Marshall. Aaron Solo, Lee Johnson, Nick Camarado, and Cole Carter by pinfall in 11 minutes and 55 seconds in a 10-man tag. Uh, they, they were doing a lot of TV build for this. That's something that kind of is stupid about AEW, by the way, the J, is they'll spend a lot of TV time building up matches for pay-per-view that end up just getting thrown on the pre-show. Yeah, it just shows you there might be you know, something kind of awry with how Tony Khan is, is kind of blueprinting things. Because you wouldn't think you're going to waste 
TV time on things that are going to end up on a pre-show, which you're alluding to, of course. So, you know, that's a whole other conversation for another day is breaking down the current state of AEW, which we can kind of talk about here, especially as we wrap up uh, this review of of the most recent pay-per-view. But yeah, I think that goes into it where it seems like some things with with Tony in charge of everything kind of come off as a miss. You know, not not that this match might have been bad or anything, because, you know, I must say, as I pop in here, I, I did miss this, too, which the, we got to say at the outset, the technical difficulties that Hey Ed was alluding to. And, and we love you, Natalie, but our friend Natalie <laughs> put in my put in my fire stick uh, that we were at her house for a get together. And I just assumed she knew how to plug things in. And I guess you could I, I took the blame for it because I love Natalie, but I just didn't think to double check that she didn't plug the goddamn thing in properly, but she did it. She she put she had one spoke in. So we missed a good portion of the pay-per-view because we were trying to mess with the fire stick for an hour. I didn't even realize that until right That's now. That's what happened. That's amazing. And I was there. Yeah. So that tells you about my mind state. But, but one one thing about this too, hey Ed, is uh Cole Carter, who is a homegrown talent. Talent here in Pittsburgh's IWC, a sponsor of the show, uh, Justin Plummer. Shout out to him, the proprietor and promoter at IWC. I uh, got called up. Uh, I've seen him, you know, decently with the factory here. So that's just a cool shout out that Cole Carter is getting a shot in AEW. I know he's a really young kid that's been working out of IWC a lot. Yeah, and he's actually going to wrestle there uh, at their next show, uh, the Pittsburgh Classic. So if you guys are in Pittsburgh and you want to see Cole Carter, you could do that. I think it's December third. Forgive me. There'll be an ad playing for it somewhere during the show, I promise. Um, But, yeah, that sounds like that would have been a pretty cool match. Uh, Definitely something I'd like to see. Uh, Another match that, by the way, got a ton of TV time building it up uh, was an AEW World Championship Eliminator Tournament semifinal match. Uh, Went 10 minutes with Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks defeating Brian Cage uh, by pinfall, a match that they've had before. Uh, Yeah, that one... You know, I figured Starks would win, but like, I don't care about the match at all. Well, th- this kind of goes hand in hand for what you were saying with the first pre-match here, getting some TV t- time build up. It seems like Ricky Starks is getting the biggest baby face push of homegrown talent, or I should say one of the biggest pushes of homegrown talent right now in AEW, where even some people are predicting, uh, again, we could talk about a little bit down the road here on, on what's going to go on with the main event picture moving forward from full gear here. And Ricky Starks being a, a prime guy to maybe get a, a main event push, you know, to put the ch- you know next champ over possibly things like that. And, and, and again, goes right in hand in hand. What you, what you were saying for some reason, this ended up as well on the pre-show. And it's kind of weird if, that's going to really come into fruition with Ricky Starks getting a push. I, I don't think you're going to have him on the pre-show. So maybe, you know, those kind of predictions are, are wrong and Ricky Starks still has a way to go. But well, I was kind of surprised to see Ricky Starks on the pre-show. I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit later on about what I think they're going to do with him. That makes gotcha. Because, I mean, it is it is still a uh, AEW World Championship Eliminator, Eliminator match. Uh, so, and he did go over. So that's part of it, too. Exactly. Um, you know, talking out loud. So... We'll get into it. Hey, yeah. uh, next up, we had Eddie Kingston face June Akiyama. He beat him by pinfall in 10 minutes and 30 seconds. Uh, this match should have been on the pay-per-view. I didn't see it, but I knew that it was happening. Uh, this is a match that Eddie Kingston's wanted for years. Like, June Akiyama is one of his favorites of all time. Uh, obviously, the J, you know these guys. He's like the last man standing from the world of all Japan pro wrestling from like the 1990s original group of guys. Not original, but like... The King's Road fucking guys, basically. So 
Uh, I wanted to see that match. Uh, I'm really happy for Eddie Kingston that he got to have that match. So uh, I'll definitely check it out because of that specifically. But yeah, this match should have been on the pay-per-view. Yeah, I did. I did catch the match that they had. They had a tag match with Kingston and Ortiz in, in Akiyama. Yeah, that was good. And yeah, and that was good. And it was good to see Akiyama. It's it's one of those things, man. It's just amazing. Uh, like you said, coming from the era that he did in Japan to still be going, dude. You know, I mean, I know there's those guys that defy time. There's a handful of them, but Akiyama with his style, it, it's just amazing. He's still going. And that other dude, you know, the dude that he teamed with who was here for a couple months wrestling. Yeah, we kind of called that. It seemed like he was getting a big reception in AEW. They officially signed him. Well, I didn't know that. I thought they went back. He went back to Japan. and Yeah, I'm pretty sure they made him all elite. I mean, because fucking that dude's really good. Like, like really good. So I'm glad to see him back on AEW as well. Um, But then the pay-per-view started. And this is the stuff that we missed. Jungle Boy Jack Perry defeated Luchasaurus by submission. In a steel cage match at 18 minutes and 40 seconds. I did see the elbow drop off the cage and it was terrible. Uh, it looked like the the kind that, you know, you would like destroy your shoulder or tear your pack because you didn't jump far enough. But uh is what it is. I'm sure it was a good match. It just sucks too because the way that AEW set up, like it's not an easy situation. Like there's no normal way for me to go back and watch this at any point. It's just like into the ether until they fucking start putting shit out on a streaming service because I'm not buying DVDs off their website. That's that's the same thing I caught was the clip of the elbow drop, which like you said, he was he was short, so he was like kind of reaching. And when you're doing that, like you mentioned, hey Ed, that that kind of opens you up to to have a serious injury. Thankfully, I don't think Jungle Boy Jack Perry was seriously injured from that. So I think he got through unscathed, but yeah, that was kind of off. And I'll I'll throw in some commentary when I can, but you could kind of take it over for a bit here because this is where I missed a good portion of the uh, pay-per-view due to said technical difficulties up until the end of the oh, I didn't, um, I didn't ROH see, World Championship. I didn't see any of this either. So Okay. Uh, yeah, I wasn't sure. Yeah, we had uh, next up was Death Triangle, the team of Pac, Penta, and Ray Phoenix defeated the team of the elite Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks uh, by pinfall in, again, 18 minutes and 40 seconds. Uh, it was for the AEW World Trios Championship, and it was match one in an announced best of seven series. Um, it looked cool. It looked like there was some also some fuckery that they were doing in this one too, but whatever. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to the best of seven, though. That was good news. Very good news. And uh, yeah, we had an account from a friend of ours that ended up meeting with us to watch the remainder of the pay-per-view that was actually at a get-together previous to our get-together where he was watching this and had seen uh, everything up to this. So at least we got his account too. And, and he did say this was like the match of the night, in his opinion. He said it was you know what you would think, just high-paced, crazy spots, uh, ridiculous. But yeah, good, good announcement that it's going to be a best of seven series for the trios championships. And I'm going to be looking forward to that. And I, I think the biggest disappointment here in you, you like to see just a straight up good match. I mean, that's what AEW's bread and butter is, but there was just no real like storylines or buzzworthy things out of this. And, and that's all fine and good. I was just kind of expecting maybe something here, you know, with, I don't know, like, I, I don't know if they were going to say something about CM Punk or at least well, bring it up, but of course they stayed away from that. So did you see the elite's entrance? No, I, I heard something about it. Yeah. They came out the, uh, carry on my wayward son. So 
So that makes sense. And it's kind of a dig. And that, well, that, like, it's, it, I guess they used it years ago, too, on top of it, but it's also kind of a dig. Plus, uh, that's going to be their music as the elite. Like, nobody else is going to use it on their own. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but you know that that's starting to be the thing too with with AEW. Like the made men are the people with the real songs. Like that's just part of it. Like because that's just expensive. Yeah, and, and they're <laughs> they're invested in you whenever they yeah, do that. Of course, you know. So uh, and it's weird too because I swear to God, there's not one woman that has her own song like that. Everybody else that like all the women just have like the bullshit. Yeah, other than Paige, but she uses her boyfriend. Her yeah. boyfriend's in that song so in reverse band. Yeah, so I guess that's the first one that, that is the change there. But Well, just because of her boyfriend, it's not even that they're fully invested. Like well, you're no, saying. no, no, no. no but, She's like, how you did my F5? Well, well, trust that's me. my British accent this weekend. Trust me, they're they're invested in her financially, so it doesn't oh, matter of course. about that one way or another. Uh, but speaking of the women's division, so... Uh, Jade Cargill defeated Nyla Rose to retain her AEW TBS championship by pinfall in eight minutes in a match that they've been building up for quite some time. So, as usual, they don't, they're just, they're, they're kind of lost with Jade, which is a shame because she's a star, but she's also learning on the fly still. And she's just, I think her biggest problem is she's not getting better because she's not working with anybody that's any good. Yeah, we've talked about that. That's a big, big thing. And she has a long way to go. And it goes in with somebody we'll be talking about upcoming soon in the men's division as well. And we've been talking about this in varying weeks with our AEW talk. And again, it comes back to Tony Khan because just like the correlation with the WWE for all those years that Vince was in charge, you know, when it comes to you making all the decisions, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. You know, you get a lot of praise when you do the right thing, but you have to take it in the chin when you don't. And he, you know, Tony Connors Booker is on thin ice with two homegrown stars that have the look and star all written all over them, but he has to build them up, you know, and, and it starts with uh, Jade in the women's division. And like I mentioned, uh, Right behind her is another big men's division homegrown talent coming up that we'll get into. But he's on thin ice with that. And the booking for both of them right now is is definitely going towards the down in the Jays' opinion. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with you. And I know exactly who you're talking about, too. But uh, we'll get into that at the right time here. Uh, but next up, there was a four-way for the Ring of Honor World Championship. And in 21 minutes and 30 seconds, Chris Jericho defeated Brian Danielson, Claudio Castagnoli, and Sammy Guevara by pinfall. Um, whatever. I'm not really invested a whole lot into this Ring of Honor championship with Jericho thing. Like it's okay, but it's just a gimmick. I'm already I'm kind of like annoyed with the Ring of Honor titles and shit being on AEW all the time. It's just kind of dumb to me. Yeah, we we mentioned the title picture in AEW is completely watered down. There's just way too many belts with the ROH belts being filtered in. There was too many belts to begin with. I don't know why they're so championship belt heavy in AEW, but it is what it is. I think it really waters down, you know, especially in a quote unquote fixed sport that is professional wrestling when you have so many freaking titles. Again, I'll I'll make another point on that as we move along here to elsewhere. But you'll you'll see and this. This was the um, and I, I know there's a lot of star power in this. You know, four of their biggest stars really. Uh, but this was the second longest match on the the show, other than the main event too. Yeah, I mean, they gave a lot of time to this, so almost 22 minutes. And it's just you know the four way hurts it for me. It just feels like you're wedging people on the show. 
Um, it's not what I want to see a lot of these guys doing anyways. Like, you know, like, dude, the, the thing is, like, Jericho's the champion here, and he's, like, the lead guy in this match, but he's also, like, the least, like, it, he's wasting three other guys because of having this match. Like, just have exactly. a singles match instead of fucking eating up all these other guys, like, that could be wrestling in other matches and doing other things. So, but whatever. It is what it is. But Jericho retained. Uh, next up, we had the big women's match. Soraya defeated Dr. Britt Baker by pinfall at 12 minutes and 30 seconds. Whatever. I mean, this is where we start watching. We could say we finally figured out what yeah, was going we on. We finally got the got shit everything situated. In. <laughs> yeah. So we are official here. Hey, Ed. But yeah, this this match didn't really do much for me. Just a little over 10 minutes. Kind of back and forth. You know, it wasn't terrible. It was interesting to see. I think it's Soraya. She pronounces it, but How either I way, <laughs> yeah, don't give a formerly shit. known as Paige. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it wasn't you know anything that was going to blow you away, and and it's more of a point to the point we've been making for quite some time that AEW's women's division really needs a rehaul, really needs uh, something to be figured out because these are two of the top women, and like you said, this match really didn't do much at all for me. Yeah, twelve and a half minute match whatever and nothing you know nothing really came of it you know there was no real good story or you know cool finish nothing yeah it was just kind of a waste they could have built it up and and taken longer to do it but they didn't uh next up was a three-way match for the AEW TNT championship and at nine minutes and 55 seconds we saw Samoa Joe defeat Wardlow and powerhouse Hobbs by submission to become the new AEW TNT champion um whatever I mean, it's kind of a waste here. I didn't like this match to begin with. Uh, they put it together in about a week's time or so, maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, Joe is just so far off anything. Wardlow's completely fallen from grace. That's the comparison you were trying to make a little bit earlier, I believe. Yeah, we were talking exactly. About Jade. Yep. Uh, Hobbs is okay, but like they're too up and down with him. There's no consistency. Like, is he a jobber? Is are you pushing him? Like, I, I don't know what you're doing with him, but you need to make a decision and do something with him because he's just kind of floating out there, and it, you know, and it's not going to help him at all. Um, but again, this feels like another match where they just wedged people onto the show, um, and it made me not care about it. And at nine minutes and fifty five seconds, whatever. Yeah, it was it was just thrown off by a weird storyline. You know, we we mentioned like the, the lead up to this powerhouse Hobbs w- was kind of turning on Samoa Joe already too, and I see what they're doing because they're setting up the three way. But like the storyline aspect of it with Samoa Joe already turning on Wardlow, you know, like we were talking about this. I think Tony Khan's booking is just overthinking a lot. Like the to set up the Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus feud, Luchasaurus. Turned on Jungle Boy, turned on Christian, then turned back on Jungle Boy. And in this case, Samoa Joe, Wardlow, and Powerhouse Hobbs getting built up. Wardlow turns on Samoa Joe, or Samoa Joe basically turns on Wardlow. I mean, they were building that up. They weren't exactly a team, but they were kind of working together. Samoa Joe ultimately turns on him. But then you were mentioning, hey, Ed, then Powerhouse Hobbs is going off, and he's like, F you, Joe, I'll beat you up too. And it's just, it just doesn't make sense. It's, just kind of all over the place. Yeah, and, and nobody gets a defined role. You That's know, what I mean. You it know just what I makes mean? it like you basically just booked a match with a baby face, a, a heel that you just turned, and another the psychology guy isn't there appropriately. A heel, but like sort of 
because you don't book him properly, meaning Hobbs. So it's like, what the fuck is he? You know, that's like, what I mean. It it really kind of screws everything up on top of this not even being a great matchup chemistry wise, just where Samoa Joe is in his career. Uh, Wardlow's in that spot that we were alluding to where he's just not being uh, booked properly in the past few months and powerhouse Hobbs is yeah, completely all over the place. So it, it made for kind of a mess to be honest with you. And next up was the no disqualification tag match in 11 minutes. We saw sting and Darby Allen defeat Jeff Jarrett and Jay lethal by pinfall. Um, this is exactly what you'd think it is. Uh, another kind of a throwaway. Um, I don't, I don't care that Jeff Jarrett has a job here, but like, I don't really care about seeing him wrestle on pay-per-view and shit. Him and Jay Lethal is just like thrown together nonsense. And we've seen this time and time again with Darby and Sting. Like, isn't it time to kind of just let Darby do something? Like, Sting doesn't always need to be in this position every pay-per-view either. Like, they could do something else. And it just seems like Darby's just stuck in this kind of like circle of booking where it's just, you know. He, he wrestles with Sting. They beat the shit out of people. He gets a shot whenever it's convenient for them to do it, and he loses, and then he goes back with Sting and kind of does it again with someone else. Yeah, it kind of goes into what's going on with the the whole card here. You know, now deep into the show, the the 10th match in total with the, the pre-show matches out of what would be a, to, a total of 13, and all these slots that we're, we're breaking down here are all kind of in the same boat other than maybe an exception here and there where a lot of these acts are kind of languishing as far as just continuing to do exactly what you just said. Hey, Ed, kind of they're, they're not evolving. They're not growing. You know, they're kind of just doing the same thing. They're kind of just spinning their wheels. You know, I mean, you know, Darby Allen, such a unique character. He was so hot. Like, I just think Tony, Tony Khan is not taking advantage of a lot of these guys' momentum. And, and that's what obviously is going to eventually create this kind of languishing position that a lot of his talent is in right now. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, it's a problem. He's going to need to kind of figure it out one way or another. And he's going to have to do it, too, in a situation that doesn't involve guys being injured or out. Like, that can't always be a reason why guys get pushed. Like, oh, Omega's out. Let's push Darby. Like, you can't do that stuff. You have to keep guys strong no matter what you're doing with them. And you can't put them in shitty positions to just look like fucking goobers. Uh, and that's that's what happens sometimes. Um, next up, we had the AEW Interim Women's World Championship matchup. And in 15 minutes, Jamie Hayter defeated Tony Storm by pinfall. Uh, fans been clamoring for Jamie Hayter to win. Uh, they did. Uh, you know, they, they pulled the trigger on it, which is fine. I think Tony Storm's run was kind of terrible. Um, I also hate the fact that we're talking about runs that are an interim AEW. Yeah, we said that from the door. That needs to get the fuck out of here. I'm over it at this point, especially because at this point, like Thunder Rosa's been gone for months. Yeah, I don't get that. There was some uh, internet buzz that I was hearing about where Tony Khan, you know, was asked about that, I guess, and and saying he's going to make a decision very soon, I guess, still dependent on when Thunder Rose is going to be able to come back. But like you said, it's really just so watered down. And we've said over and over, we talked earlier in this review, the AEW's women's division has been really struggling. And the fact that the the interim thing still going on as well is not helping that. They really need an established world champ. They really need to get somebody in there that can give a run. I'll give Hater a shot. I mean, you know, she's big, hard hitting and things like that. She's not exactly 
my cup of tea as a pro wrestler, but I respect what she's doing. I think she might have a chance of being a pretty good women's champion AEW. But again, it comes down to the booking and, and, and how you put these things together. And, and that's the struggle that, that is the theme throughout this entire card, really. Well, they're going to have that struggle, too, because she's aligned with Britt Baker who is already in that main event women's spot. And they've already been back and forth speaking of what I was just saying. Again, they, you know, they kind of already they, broke up, then got back they together. They did that kind of wishy-washy. They didn't really exactly. pull That's the trigger the th- on it on purpose, like, I guess. But, like, but then you're going to have to turn one of them. And, like, I don't think Jamie Hayter is the right person for Britt to turn babyface on. Um, but then again, I also don't think Britt's in a position to keep losing matches either. Like, Britt's been losing matches. She just lost to Soraya. And then, what, you're going to have her lose to J- Like, why? She shouldn't even have the shot at Jamie Hayter right now because she just lost the match. So she's, exactly. she's going to make sense. And she's going to have to play second fiddle to Jamie Hayter for a while. And that's okay, too. But you got to make sure that she doesn't kind of slip down the card during that process. So that means having something else that's compelling for her to be involved in. And Tony's kind of proven that he can't really do that. Like he doesn't really book the division well anyways, let alone even like the champion. So like sub feuds and things like that are not his strong suit here. Yeah. That's what this is definitely showing. So we'll see how they do. I don't know, but I mean, I, I don't, I'm not against this. I actually think it was a better idea than having Tony Storm just keep it. So, yeah, this was a decent match. Yeah, it seemed like it too, from what I saw. Uh, we also had the AEW World Tag Team Championships on the line. And in t- 19 minutes and 40 seconds, the acclaimed Anthony Bowens and Max Caster defeated Swerve in Our Glory, Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee by pinfall. Uh, seemed like a decent match. I'll be honest, I really wasn't paying a lot of attention during this, but. Um, you know, they, they have pretty good chemistry. So like, you know, but I think that it's probably time to close the book on this feud, uh, maybe move on because I think that they've, they've gone through waves with it already, but like, this is like the third or fourth major match these teams have had. Um, it's time to switch it up with both teams and kind of figure out what you're doing. And it looks to like the swerve in our glory might be pretty close to breaking up, which they've kind of went back and forth on that too. the jail. Speaking of uh, kind of what you've been talking about. Yeah, we, we said a, a bunch of times with Tony Khan, you really wanted to run a pro wrestling company. And, you know, here in the time frame of his company's growth and where they're at, he's really starting to see how tough it is with all these moving parts and all this different talent and, you know, what to do with guys' singles runs and putting guys together. And everybody, you know, can jump on Vince McMahon when he was doing it as much as possible. But it's starting to show that it's not an easy thing. To, to be consistent with, with all these different varying things going on. So, uh, you know, we'll see as we move forward, but I, I completely, this match was exactly how I thought it was going to be. Hey, Ed, it, it was the, like you said, it was the third or fourth match. Definitely the third one um, that I can remember. Cause there was that the first one that blew everybody away on the last pay-per-view. Then they had the show on the big TV show, you know, the match on the big TV show. And now this one. And I think, you know, especially the fact that they didn't even throw a stip on this, you know, out of all times not to, you know, I'm not all about steps, but it would have kind of made sense to do something different here yeah. with how many times these guys wrestled. And I did not see them doing better than they already have. And and not, that's not the shit on the match. This was a, a really good match. You know, 20 minute time was, was good for it. These guys go. I enjoyed it for what it was. But yeah, I think uh, it, like you mentioned it, I'm, I concur with you. It definitely has run its course. Yeah. Sometimes with matches, you know, whenever they happen repeatedly, you realize that they've kind of peaked out. 
So it's like it's time now to move on. Like, move on. You right. know, these aren't house show matches. These are pay-per-view matches. So, you know, unless you're just going to do it on free TV, then I'm like, what? Well, do whatever you want. But uh, but on pay-per-view, these, these teams should probably be done. Uh, now it was time for the main event. Uh, this was one that we definitely watched fully all the way through. Uh, it was the AEW World Championship match. MJF ch- uh, cashed in his casino ladder match poker chip. And in 23 minutes and 15 seconds, MJF defeated John Moxley by pinfall with the help of William Regal. Um, this was pretty good. Um, this is kind of what I expected uh, with the w- William Regal turn and everything. Uh, MJF winning the title, I also think was a good idea. Uh, we kind of talked about that previously here on the show. Um, you know, it, it's time for Moxley to go take his vacation, I think. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, while they establish some people that uh, can face off with MJF. And I think one of those people is going to be Ricky Starks. And as we mentioned earlier, the J, I don't think the point is to get Starks over by beating MJF at all. Uh, but I think that it's going to get him over as a major baby face feuding with MJF. Uh, the fact that he I can agree. talk and stuff like that, like it's going to be a nice little showcase for him because you know how MJF's feuds are. Like, there's always portions where these guys get to like work out things on the mic and stuff like that, and it'll be a different opportunity for Ricky Starks to kind of show if he can hang with somebody like MJF. I mean, I don't think he's in that class, but it'll be good. it'll be a good challenge for him. It's either time to step up or not. And as we as we need to mention, just to time frame anything as as we speak and our show drops, the final of the AEW World Championship Eliminator Tournament would have taken place takes place on this week's Dynamite, November twenty third, between Ethan Page and Ricky Starks. So we know we'll know uh, by the time our show drops who the number one contender is. But I'm with you, Hayat. I really think it's going to be Ricky Starks as a primed homegrown babyface to be the next. Uh, opponent of mjf moving forward moxley a much deserved vacation uh this dude we we said and you you weren't big on him i was kind of hit or miss with him for a long time there and then he's kind of won us both over absolutely i would say uh, you know because we realize what he's been handling through everything with the behind the scenes stuff so uh much respect mox a hell of a run Take that well-deserved vacation and a really good main event i mean you know it's uh, you got to say it's nothing that's historic or anything but i really enjoyed the match uh, i thought it did what it needed to do you know put over mjf and of course uh more than anything i think the big press conference for this pay-per-view uh in a positive way this way uh this time for aew as opposed to last pay-per-views uh fallout between the elite and cm punk mjf kind of took it over and did a heel run which was very swear word heavy. <laughs> a lot of f bombs dropped, but uh, that's that's a heel in AEW right now, and and I kind of like that. And I'm very interested to see how MJF handles his first definitive AEW World uh, Championship title run. Yeah, and I'll tell you right now, this show definitely made me more interested in uh, you know watching Dynamite this week, which obviously would have happened by the time you guys are listening. So uh, I'm just interested in kind of you know because I think their product's been kind of up and down lately. And yeah, I, we've been talking about and that. And I think there's been enough changes made on the, the roster with stuff up to this point, like with the new champion and things like that, that uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of like where the direction goes at this point. So hopefully it gets a little bit better. I think they have some opportunities here to do some really cool stuff. So uh, we'll have to see how that, that checks out. 
Yeah, we'll see. I, I, I like the, the card overall. There was a lot of action thrown at us. As we fully had mentioned, we're transparent, uh, transparent here on the What's Real podcast. Hey, Ann and I were partying it up on Saturday with uh, our, our crew, Generation F, our good friends we grew up with, which typically it's tough to get everybody together. And there was a good portion of us together for the first time in a while. So we were having a blast and we're pretty distracted during this, but, you know, did catch a, a fair amount of it. And I was entertained by what I saw. But again, just talking about it on the show, breaking it down how I see it. Uh, AEW, like you said, is kind of in, in a transitional kind of period right now. And, you know, MJF is really claiming that he's going to help put them back on track. So, yeah, we'll definitely see how things go in the coming weeks. Absolutely. So we are up against our very first commercial break. And whenever we come back, it's going to be all about the National Football League. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. Join us next week for episode 142 of the What's Real podcast. It's more of the exclusive and deep coverage of the NFL with the What's Real podcast as we cover weeks 12 going into 13. And another week of Tales from the Territories. This time we go to Texas for world-class championship wrestling. And on another episode of Fridays at Midnight, we go back to 1980 with another disturbing ditty don't answer the phone. Hi, this is Timothy James with the What's Real Podcast, representing Goof or Goose, or GRD as we call it here on the Dunbar Question Mark, where we talk about zany, crazy things like Disney hiring little people and they get drunk and naked for the premiere of Pinocchio, Vikings tricked into celebrating porn star Johnny Sins, and a husband that has sexomnia. All that and much more next week on episode 142 of the What's Real Podcast. What's real, everybody? It's your boy, The J from the What's Real podcast here throwing out there the opportunity to advertise here on the Dubar question mark. That's right. You yourself, whatever you're trying to sell on the interwebs or anywhere or anything, we're whores. We'll help you put it out there. Just contact us at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. That's whatsrealpod at gmail.com to advertise on the show of shows, the Pod Upon Pods today, and team up with Hate Yelp, the J, and the Wizard Behind the Boards for some sick 16K advertising. Just hit us up and we'll make a deal. And we're back, and it's that time once again for the National Football League talk. And as we start out here every week, we do with fantasy football. The Jay, you got two squads, brother, so start us off. All right. Hey, yeah, it was another split week for the Jay. So the struggles in the one league, uh, that I'll, I'll take care of that one first because we'll just get the nasty shit out of the way first and foremost. And that is with the aptly named Purple-Headed Warriors who took the big L, hey, Ed. And this week, I actually got the biggest loss of the year through both teams, which is saying a lot. I got demolished 159.44 to 98.80, getting annihilated by damn near 60 points. Uh, I did lose to the second-place team that's 9-2. and Shout out to our buddy, Joe Cravada. Uh, but yeah, he just demolished me. I mean, what can you say to that? I have Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown's been struggling. He had a fumble loss in this game, even with 60 receiving yards. Uh, Lazard, as you've mentioned in the past, oh. had never pick a Green Bay Packer. He's just been struggling, didn't break 10 points. So 
for other than my quarterback, who typically your quarter, quarterbacks are going to be the highest scorers anyway, obviously, uh, Jalen Hurst scoring uh, just shy of 25 points. I didn't have one other player break 15 points. I had less than 15 points from every other player, which is obviously why I didn't even break a Hondo with the Purple Headed Warriors. And that drops me to, I'm still in the middle of the pack because a lot of teams are also struggling. You know, talk about actual parity in the NFL. There's parity in my fantasy league here. So I still have somewhat of a chance. Hey, Ed, you know what it is? You just make the playoffs and you got a chance. So uh, I can look at it like that is my only positive. Other than that, I am currently in fifth place and four and seven with the purple headed warriors. All right. Well, this week I was looking at a, a projected win. So, but not by a lot, but, uh, but it would turn out quite differently. I won big time. I won 140 nice. 20 to 85.86. Damn. Uh, now check this out. Jalen hurts had a good game. 27 points. Debo Samuel had one of his best games of the season with 18.9 points. Uh, Amir St. Brown got me 11 points. Uh, Alvin Kamara got me 10. George Kittle got me 22 points. Uh, Kenyon Drake, who I just started on the fly, got only got me six points. Lazard with eight points, who uh, is real. I'm struggling to keep this dude in my lineup, man. Like, I'm like I have uh, Raheem Mostert for uh, Miami, and yeah. next week he's probably getting plugged in the lineup in, in Lazard's place. Uh, you know, I blame you. I'm only putting Lazard in unless I have to. Uh, but dude, here's the the kicker. Well, not well. Here's the kicker. Actually, three points <laughs> from my kicker. Uh, but the real kicker was my defense. So you texted me on Sunday about something. I don't know if you remember this about football specifically that had nothing to do with the Steelers or anything. Do you remember what it was? No, not a fan. Cordero Patterson we- setting the NFL record for the fucking most kickoff returns. Yeah, there was. Yeah. What yep. what team does he play for? The Falcons. Who is my defense? Oh, nice. So you got all his shit. They got me 31.8 yeah. points, dude. Patterson, so, boy. So, yeah, definitely uh, did the thing that week. Uh, it moved me up one spot. Um, I'm 7-4 and four on the season. Um, I'm currently tied for third place, but I'm technically in fourth when it comes to the, the point breaker, uh, you know, like the point total. Uh, but in fourth place, pretty comfortable at this point. Uh, there's three teams tied at seven and four. Like I'm pretty much in the driver's seat to go to the playoffs, but I was looking at the games coming up and, uh, one, one of them I'm going to win one of them. I don't know. And the other one I'm playing like one of the teams that fucking scores a shitload of points. It's the dude I told you that I, that just drafted the chiefs basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a rough team to play. He puts up a shitload of points. So, uh, it's going to be touch and go to see if I can make it, but, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing how the season, uh, runs out because dude, I just, it's like, I, I was telling you the one week, man, like, I don't have the most powerful team, but my team just finds a way to win games. So I'm always going to be in it because of that. That's how I did it the, the year I won it. Yeah. So, and you know, whenever you have, and you know this too, cause you have them, but like when you have a guy like Jalen hurts, everything's open every week. Like this dude could have a 40 point game at any time. Uh, and you know, like guys like Alvin Kamara, like they're not doing real well for me and I'm winning. So like the weeks where they do well, I'm going to whoop your ass. So Hopefully that's the the mindset going forward here. Uh, and I'm going to be doing like a flyer thing. And I, I hate doing this, but with defenses, because I have Atlanta and Minnesota. 
And Minnesota this week would have only got me 10 points against Dallas because they got blown out. But the week before, they played Buffalo, and they would have got me 30. So yep. I have defenses that can score points, too. I'm just going to have to be smart about how I play them moving forward, and I could really probably do some damage here, I'm thinking. Yeah, man. Congratulations, hey, Ed, because we did not talk. So big win. As, as I'll say for my second team, the Blue Dragons, hey, Ed, from the fantasysportsyahoo.com full recap, the Blue Dragons defy expectations, earn win against striking distance in a 165 even to 127.16 blowout. So big win for the J there, led by Joe Burrow against our beloved Steelers, who crushed with four pass touchdowns. Yeah. Uh, a, a guy that's been a really good rookie, Alave, uh, the receiver for New Orleans. He's been pretty good other than a couple weeks. Uh, most of the time he's solid. He had over 100 uh, receiving yards. Amari... Uh, Cooper for the Who's lowly been Browns. Blowing up, man. Blowing up, man. Broke 30 points for me. <laughs> and get this, dude. You talked about kickers. And once again, Mac Money against the Steelers. 17 points from my Jesus. kicker for Cincinnati. And and how funny is this? My bench had zero points because out of the five guys on my bench, four were on a bye, and my other guy got hurt. So my bench had zero points. So thank God all the, the starters were available and, and did their thing for a huge win. But I just talked about that parody even here in fantasy. And how crazy is this with having two teams? I mentioned to you guys my other team, the Purple-Headed Warriors, that's been struggling, is in fifth place and is four and seven. Well, this team is six and five, the Blue Dragons. And in this league, I'm in fifth place. Yeah. And both my leagues have 10 teams each. So I'm in fifth place in both leagues. One team, I'm four and seven. The other team, I'm six and five. So well, dude, that shows you too. And that's why it's about making the playoffs once again. You know, it's really weird. So in my league, I told like the top team, there's a nine and two team, an eight and three team, and then a bunch of seven and fours and shit. Right. But yeah, dude, that middle of the pack is but, tight. But here's something that doesn't make any sense, right? There's no team there that, like, you think one team maybe would be, like, close to undefeated or have one loss, right? Especially when you hear what I'm about to tell you. This is wild as shit to me. The bottom two teams in the league, their records are both 1 in 10. Wow. So it's like, who got their wins? Like, yeah, right. they don't really look like, it doesn't look like anybody's Where really. Were those 10 wins kind of yeah. shuffle out? Yeah, yeah, like they didn't really shuffle out anywhere, it seems like. They've been equally distributed, which is bizarre. But because, uh, you know, generally, you know how that goes, man. When there's an offer or like two really bad teams like that, you usually have one or two teams that are complete opposite of that or like yeah, 10 right. and 1 or 11 and 0 or whatever. But not this year in our league. Yeah, it's crazy. I'll, we'll see what happens, but we're both still in it. Hey, Ed, that's what matters. It Hell makes yeah. the conversation Which, a little more relevant. Dude, in the three years that we've done this, this might be the furthest point that both of us have still been in it. Yeah, yeah, because you did good last year, but before that, your, your uh, run last year was the first time either of us did good because we kept joking about the, the podcast curse. Yep. <laughs> so let's see if we could break that son of a bitch this year for one of us. Oh, yeah. That'd be great, but... Uh, moving on, let's talk about our hometown Pittsburgh Steelers. They lost to the Cincinnati Bengals 37-30. to And as we do here on the show, we do the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, so I'll start us out this week in the good, the J. Uh, I'll say the first half offense. Um, they look good. Um, Pickett looked really good. Pickens looked really good. Um, you know, they, they were moving the ball down the field. They were scoring points. 
Uh, they scored 20 points, which is, or yeah, 20 points, which is the most points they've scored. Uh, they only score about 20 a game. So to have that at halftime was definitely good. Yeah, it's a great call. And as we work together hey, you know, hand in hand, I'll just get a little more specific uh, than you're calling the first half offense, which says it all because we, we were going into the half with a 20 to 17 lead. Uh, so they did their part there. We'll get into the second half things as, as we move yeah. forward. Uh, but my my first winner, I put my man just because I have to. I love that consistency. And that's tight end Pat Fryermuth. Yep. Just keeps making great plays. You know, big 27-yard reception late in the half. You know, ran through multiple tackles, getting a ton of yak. Uh, he just has been playing really good, and that's just really good to see. Uh, ended up with 79 yards, his second most of the year. So he's my first good big Pat Fryer move. Uh, another good for me is the offensive line. Um, I thought this was the best game the offensive line had all season. Um, they looked good on both sides of the ball. Like, they, they were good at pass blocking for the most part. They were really good at run blocking. Um, I, I was really, this was one game that I was thinking some guys might've shown out for once. Yeah. Yeah. Great call. Um, my, mine is the, the, an easy tandem to maybe always call out most weeks, you know, especially with his big return, of course, uh, recently with TJ Watt and Cam Hayward, the combo, uh, you know, the pass rush was a bit quiet in the first half, but of course perked up in the second half. Hayward playing bully ball with his power rushes against rookie uh, left guard Cradell Volson. Uh, he did something similar in the opener. And, of course, Watt stepping up in the second half, uh, had a falling interception at the line of scrimmage. Um, and, you know, stars being stars, hey, Ed, but you got to throw those two in the good when they're playing like this. Yeah, I won't argue with that. I'll, I'll add to that as we move along here. But uh, And one last good is uh, Najee Harris. Uh, two touchdowns, 90 yards, 20 attempts. He's starting to come around a little bit, which is good. Uh, you know, it looks like maybe he's starting to get back to health for once, and they're just not really saying that. Uh, but I'm happy for him, too, especially with Jalen Warren going out of the game with a hamstring injury. He actually carried the load pretty well throughout the game. Yeah, good call. My, my last one, hey, Ed, just uh, as we shout out our references, Steelers Depot. I'll steal this from them, but it's a great point. The front seven bats. The Steelers' front seven impacted the game without always having to get to the quarterback. They had at least four tip passes on Burrow, one from Spillane that led to Levi Wallace's interception, while Watt and Golf another had some hard luck on those plays this season, but it went their way against Cincinnati. So we'll shout that out to uh, round out the good. And uh, I'm going to go right into the bad with this because that's a perfect time to bring it up. Is our offense completely shitting the bed every time the defense got them a turnover? They weren't able to turn any of them into points. And that's an easy way to lose a game by seven. Yeah, let's we, we say this could be even the ugly hate, but I'm just going to piggyback off you as we say here in the world of what's real. The second half offense, um, you mentioned they looked pretty goddamn good in the first half. That's why they were in your good. But the second half attack totally sucked ass. Just going back to that ugly mess of miscommunication, poor throws, third and forevers, which has haunted them all year. And that just hinders your chances to win a game. It was just a disaster, especially from how they looked in the, the first half. And we've talked about issues within the coaching staff from Mike Tomlin down. And this is a telling thing with the way they looked in the first half. It, it seems like the Cincinnati Bengals made their adjustments and the Steelers didn't do shit. Yeah, they didn't. Uh, because one of the uh, Cincinnati Bengals even said that the Steelers run the same play repeatedly. Uh, 
Yeah, he's um, like, we're not worried. They just do the same shit. Yep, and that's horrible. And that's also something that you see out of Matt Canada. Um, I think if the offense needs to be simplified that much for Kenny Pickett, then he shouldn't be playing. Um, and that kind of leads me into another bad here. It's my last one for the week. Uh, it's Kenny Pickett constantly missing open guys. Um, I know he's a rookie, but you got to stop doing that shit, man. And you got to stop doing it very quickly. That's why you're not performing to a higher level. I mean, the guy had 265 yards passing. If he would have caught a couple open guys, he would have had easily over 300. And that's where you need to be in today's NFL. 265 is not getting it done in current day NFL unless there's something else about your team that's inherently like really special. Yeah, yeah, that's a great breakdown. Hey, uh, uh, my my last uh, thing is an ugly, and that goes hand in hand with Matt Canada, of course. The second and long runs. I mean, <laughs> we were talking about this during the game with a lot of my friends I was texting with. I mean, some of these play calls, man. I mean, it's second and long, and you're just gonna run and get nowhere. And then again, it goes into what I was talking about with your third and forevers. That's what sets up the third and forever. Yep. So that's why it's in my ugly. I mean, you know, again, you called it. Canada called a decent first half. The offense looked good. They went in with the lead. But, man, coming out in that second half and just these second and long runs, it's just getting to a point where I don't I don't see how guys like us in, in our position can see this clear as day. And, and Tomlin keeps needing to stick to Canada and not make changes and all that. But – as we say, it is what it is. Yeah, it's a mess. I don't disagree with anything you just said. And uh, and for my ugly here and my only ugly that I have. So we've said this, I don't know how many times here on the show, but um, the offense consistently hangs the defense out the dry. And that's true. They do it a lot. Um, they're getting better with it, but they, you know, they definitely have done it throughout the season. But the bottom line is, is we have a $100 million plus defense. We have one of the most, we have the highest paid defense in, in the National Football League. Um, whenever you're blowing shit in the second half like that, like it's it's also on the defense too. I thought that uh, this is another game too. He doesn't get called out as much as Matt Canada does, but I thought this was another game that uh, defensive coordinator Terrell Austin called that was terrible. Um, the second half, they just looked like they had no idea what they were doing and they were still getting great play from Minka, from Watt, and from Cam Hayward. Um, but it's, you know how that goes. Those are three guys. If you can kind of find ways to stay away from them, um, you can, you know, do what you yeah, need to do. Yeah, there's eight other dudes you could take advantage of. And I think that's the, the point, too. Like, you could see it in the game. Whenever uh, Burrow threw that interception to TJ Watt, who made like an insane fucking play. That's why he was so pissed off because he's like, I'm fucking trying to go away from these fucking dudes and it's not working. Um, but most of the time it works. Uh, and in a game where Joe Burrow does not have Jamar Chase, his number one receiver, and Tyler Boyd does basically nothing till the end of the game, but T. Higgins, of all people, fucking just absolutely annihilates you and the team gives yeah, up it's a four passing touchdowns. And I think Burrow had almost 400 yards or close yeah. to it. So yep. it's it's a bad performance by the defense. I know here in Pittsburgh we like to take pride in that, and they play way better than our offense does more times often than not. But occasionally you're allowed to say that this one's also on the defense and this one's also on the defense. A huge point in there, as you pointed out to me uh, just last week, hey, you know, is that we are the highest 
paid defense in the league, you know, the highest budgeted defense. So, you know, you got to call them out if they're not doing their jobs. They're like 108, $110 million defense. Yep. It's nobody else spends money like that on the defense, you know, and dude, it's weird because I, I wonder if people knew something. And by that, I mean, you know, like me and you've talked about this off the air many times, how like the NFL is kind of down this year and especially in scoring, like the, the teams aren't scoring like they did previously. Um, it makes me wonder if Tomlin and company knew something because they put a lot of money into the defense and weren't as worried about the offense. Uh, so maybe they saw something coming. We didn't. I don't know. But uh, the experiment has not worked out very well. <laughs> I was going to say, it looks like it was the wrong read, but that can happen. Absolutely. So let's go into our predictions from last week, first up of which was the Bengals and the Steelers. Me and you both went against our hometown boys. We didn't think they would win the game, and they didn't. So we got that one correct. Next up was the Tennessee Titans at seven and three, going into the Packers at four and seven, and they would win twenty-seven to seventeen. And I believe we split on that one with me picking the Titans. Why would I pick the Packers? Hey Ed, but I did. Next up was the Bears and the Falcons. The Falcons would win twenty-seven to twenty-four, and I believe we both got that one right. What one was it? I'm sorry, Bears moving my sheets. We split. Okay, so you you went with the Bears on that one. Uh, Next up is the Browns and the Bills. We both got this one right with the Bills winning 31 to 23. Another one we both got right, the Eagles beating the Colts just barely 17 to 16. Uh, This one I got wrong. I think you got it right. We both did. Oh, okay. We both Patriots. Yep. Patriots beating the Jets 10 to 3. Uh, let's see. Next up was the Rams and Saints with the Saints winning 27 to 20. And I believe we both got that one correct. Yep. Uh, next up, we had the Lions at the Giants, and the Lions would win 31-18. to 18. I know I got this wrong, and, dude, I'm kind of kicking myself because I wanted to pick the Lions here, but they showed me out, and uh, but I don't remember how you picked them this one. Both picked the Giants, so double L's there. And, yeah, the Lions pop in with some wins here and there. Next up is the Panthers at the Ravens, and the Ravens would win this one 13-3, and we both picked that one as well. Yep. The Commanders would beat the Texans at uh, Houston 23 to 10. I believe we both got that one correct. Got it. Next up, I know we split on this one. Uh, the Raiders beat the Broncos 22 to 16. Yeah, it could have went either way. It was overtime, but yeah, you got the dub. Jay picked the Broncos for the L. I think you picked the next one right, and I didn't. And that was the Cowboys beating the Vikings 40 to 3. No, we both had the Vikings there. And that, how about that? freaking result <laughs> 40 it's, to 3 yeah i think it's a little bit of smoke and mirrors too because i think the vikings were burnt out from playing buffalo the week before so and, seems like it and dallas was coming off a loss so uh to the packers nonetheless so don't it's still the same team that people uh, don't believe in dallas i'm telling you i mean i they're good but like they're not going to win shit uh Next up, we have the Chiefs at the Chargers. They would win 30-27 to in one of the better games of the weekend, and I think we both picked the Chiefs. Yeah, we had that one. And last but not least, on Monday Night Football, we both picked right on this one, the 49ers beating the Cardinals 38-10. to Yes, sir. That means the Jags, the Dolphins, the Seahawks, and the Buccaneers were all on a bye. Uh, I went 11-3 and this week. The Jay, how did you do, and how are we on the season? Yeah, I was going to say, good job. Hey, yeah, that's Thank a big you. week with only three losses, 11-3 and three you were. The J, not ridiculously shabby, still in the win column with 8-6 and six this week. 
That brings the Jays' uh, season total for what's real NFL predictions in the 2022 regular season to 92 and 72. And the, hey, yeah, you were mentioning wanting to break that Hondo ceiling, and you did it this week. Your total uh, is 102 and 62 this year. So, all right. P- picking pretty good for those betters out there. Might want to listen to the show. Absolutely. So now it is time for our weekly NFL power rankings after week 11. What's real NFL power rankings? This is where me and the J rank all the NFL teams from worst to first. So start us out this week. The J, who do you got at number 32? Yeehaw! Just started watching Yellowstone again. Hey, yeah, checked out Stallone and the Tulsa King. And we're in Houston here with 32. I'm not changing it. Sometimes the good teams stay consistent and the bad teams stay consistent. I'm keeping Houston at the 32 slot. What else can I say? The Jay, that's a great minder. So feel free to go up to 31. All right, 31. My bad. I have last week's up here. I went with the Panthers, I think, are just still abysmal. All right. I didn't go with them yet, but I'll piggyback here. At 31, that's where I have the Jacksonville Jaguars. And at 30, that's where I have the Carolina Panthers. That's where I put the Broncos. And I'll do a piggyback again. At 29, I have the Bears. And at 28, I have the Broncos. All right. 29, the Jay has the Browns, followed by the Vegas Raiders. And I have the Raiders at 27, and I have the Browns at 26. All right, that's where I put the Jags at 27. And unfortunately, my 26 AEL is our hometown Pittsburgh Steelers. And I have them this week at 25. That's where I put the Bears. 24 this week is the Los Angeles Rams. All right, I'll piggyback you because I have the Rams at 23. I put the Lions at 24. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah, they might be coming up. 23 this week for me is the Arizona Cardinals. All right, I'll piggyback you again. I have 21, the Cards, and 22, the Colts. Hey, Ed, so take it to 21. All right, 22 for me this week is the Colts, and 21 this week is the New Orleans Saints. All right, top 20, and that's where I have the Saints, so I'll just start there since I piggybacked you. Number 20 this week for me is the Green Bay Packers. I have the Packers at 19. And at 19, that's where I have the Detroit Lions. All right, yeah, they might be coming up for me. Uh, 18, hate you. That's the Atlanta Falcons. That's a, our first great minder, ding, ding, ding. Falcons at 18 as well. And at 17 this week, that's where the Tampa Bay Bucks. Great minder alike, Bucks at 17. 16 for me this week is the Commanders. All right, that's where I put the Chargers. I have them at 15. The Jets are uh, the top 15. And I have the Jets at 14. All right, that's where I put the Patriots. And I have them at 13. <laughs> yep. So we say, man, it's all going by record and pretty consistent. I had the Commanders at 13. This week at number 12, this is where I'm the Cincinnati Bengals. All right, I'll piggyback you to do it. The Bengals I had at 11. The Seahawks I had at 12. And the Seahawks I have at 11 this week. So uh, top 10, the J, number 10. Top 10. Who do you got this week? So my top 10, uh, number 10 is the Tennessee Titans. I have the San Francisco 49ers. Okay. And I don't know if I mentioned it, 11, I had the Bengals. So 11 Bengals, Titans 10. I have the Giants at nine. Great minders. Same here. Okay. Um, I'll just throw out you, hey, uh, my eight is the Baltimore Ravens. And I have, I'll piggyback you. At seven, I have the Ravens. And at eight, that's where I have the Tennessee Titans. All right. My seven is the 49ers. Just outside of the top five for me this week at number six is the Dallas Cowboys. 
All right, at six, I have the Minnesota Vikings right right outside of the top five at, after loss. At five this week, this is where I have the Buffalo Bills. All right, top five, this is where I kept the uh, Cowboys for now. At number four this week, this is where I have the Miami Dolphins. That's a great minder. Right. One of the top three. All right, the top three, the J. I, I'll just throw it out backwards to you. Number three this week is the Minnesota Vikings. Number two this week is the Kansas City Chiefs. And number one, once again, is the Philadelphia Eagles. All right. I like it. It's a bit different. My top three, it's been pretty consistent, even with some losses here and there for these teams. But my top three go from number three, the Bills, number two, the Eagles, and I have kept the Chiefs at number one. You know, I was pretty close at doing the Chiefs at number one this week. Uh, It's I'll say this. I, a lot of teams at the top for me got the benefit of the doubt, like the Vikings. So after this upcoming week, if they don't do what they're supposed to do, they're really going to fall. So, yeah, you know, that's how it has to go. Yep. That's just the way I treated it. So, all right. Now let's get into our week 12 predictions. Uh, this will be a good one, too, because the bye weeks are over. So let's get into it. The J, the hometown Pittsburgh Steelers on Monday Night Football, go to Indianapolis to play the Colts. I'm going to pick the Steelers. All right. Yeah, this is a tough one because Jeff Saturday getting promoted to the head coach over Frank Reich and causing a lot of controversy just due to his lack of coaching experience, et cetera. But, man, he came out with a win, and then this week he almost had a big upset at the helm. So, of course, the Steelers go into Indianapolis when the Colts are kind of looking like they're capable of maybe getting a win. But like you said, man, I'm kind of feeling like, man, all things considered with breaking down the Steelers this year, we got to beat the fucking Colts, don't we? So I'm going to go with Pittsburgh. All right. Next up, we have the Buffalo Bills on Thanksgiving playing the Detroit Lions. The Jay, who do you like in this one? Man, I'm, I'm liking the Lions a bit more for being kind of more of a downtrodden team. But, you know, playing on Thanksgiving as is tradition. But still, I can't pass the Bills uh, beating their ass. So I'm going with Buffalo. I'm going to go with Detroit. Through the upset and I'll see what happens. It's the Turkey Day game. That's the, yeah. They play better on Thanksgiving. I think they've won some games this year. I think Buffalo's kind of been downtrodden a little bit recently. This is a game that could catch them, especially, too, because Buffalo played in Detroit this past weekend uh, because of the weather in Buffalo. So they've stayed there this entire time. More time in hotels and everything. I think it's just going to wear on them, and I think that this might be a game that the Detroit Lions could pick pick them off. So yeah, good way to look at it. Ayo. Another Thanksgiving Day game, a division rivalry: the seven and three Giants versus the seven and three Dallas Cowboys. The J. I'll be honest with you, man. Something that I found out this week: I just don't believe in the Giants anymore. I think the Cowboys are going to get them. All right, I'll, I'll split with you there because I'm with you. You could say that. Look like the Giants at times showed real promise, and then they kind of take some steps back. But I don't know. I have a feeling, so we'll see. But we'll split. I'm going to go with the G- the G-Men. And one more nighttime game for Thanksgiving. This is the New England Patriots going to Minnesota to play the Vikings. Uh, who do you like in this one? Yeah, some good Thanksgiving games, I must say. Hey, yeah, enjoy that turducken. Indeed. Uh, this is a tough call just because Belichick's goofy air coming in there uh but i still have a lot of faith in the vikings i'm gonna stick with minnesota yeah i think minnesota wins as well uh next up we have the sunday one o'clock game the tampa bay buccaneers go to cleveland to play the browns uh i'm gonna go with the brownies here the jay well yeah i'm not i'm gonna go with the bucks (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Next up, the Cincinnati Bengals go into Tennessee to play the Titans in one of the more interesting games of the weekend. The Jay, who do you like here? Yeah, this could be a t- tough one. This is going to be down to the end. I'm predicting. Uh, this is that good old fashioned smash mouth football. Hey, Ed, that power football. Uh, all things considered, when the dust settles and the smoke clears, though, I think the Bengals are, are kind of looking for a run. Uh, Titans are formidable. I'm going to stick with the Bengals, though. Okay, I'm going to split on this one with you. I'm going to go with Tennessee. Uh, next up, we have the Tennessee, or I'm sorry, the Houston Texans going into Miami to play the Dolphins, and I think the Dolphins are going to beat the worst team in football. Yeah, I'm not picking the worst team in football, in our opinion. Sticking with the Finns. Next up, we have the Chicago Bears going to New York to play the six and four Jets. The Jay, who do you like here? Yeah, this could be a tough one. Jets are kind of all over the place. This this kind of game is a perfect example with this matchup of what we talked about. Hey, Ed, just the unpredictability this season of the NFL, the lower scoring. It's like kind of hard to predict a game like this. Uh, but the Bears defense really has been struggling. Then on the other hand, you got Justin Fields with how it looked last week. The Jets offense was struggling. So it's like talking out loud kind of all over the place. Uh, but I'll stick to my guns here. I'm going to stick with the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Bears. I, I think right. the, This might be the most splits we've had all year. I think the Jets have had just such a bad week that it's just going to continue. I don't, yeah, the quarterback's a goof. Yeah, and I don't think they're going to be able to change up on that either. So we'll see. Uh, next up, the Atlanta Falcons go into Washington to play the Commanders. I've been a big fan of the Falcons this year, even though they're not the greatest team. But I, I think the Commanders are getting it together for, for the right time here, too. Uh, so I think they're going to win this game. I do too. I'm liking the Commanders. I'm 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 with you on that one. Hey, yeah. Next up is the Broncos going into Carolina to play the Panthers. Uh, who do you like in this one, Jay? Uh, this is a tough one. We talk about the battle, the poop battles uh, at times. That's one of these matchups. Uh, but I'm going to stick with the Panthers on this one. Yeah, I agree with you, man. I don't have a lot of faith in the Broncos at all. So no, they're looking bad. Uh, next up, we have our division rival, the Ravens, go to Jacksonville to play the Jaguars. I think the Ravens roll on this one. Yeah, I'm there. Ravens all the way. Next up is the Chargers taking on the Cardinals in Arizona. Cards are just struggling, man. Chargers are too. Uh, Chargers was one of those teams. I remember the first couple weeks we're thinking, you know, they're barn burning and coming out swinging and looking good and then just have not been consistent since. Uh, some... Last-minute losses, things like that. But still, I think the Cardinals are struggling even more. Uh, is there any word on, just while we're here, any word on Kyler Murray's injury? I was talking to a friend about that before this. I haven't heard. Yeah, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. At this yeah, point, I think it might be some time. Because they just played last night. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm going to go with the Chargers. Yeah, I agree. I think the Chargers are going to win this game, too. Uh, next up, we have the Las Vegas Raiders going into Seattle to play the Seahawks. And uh, I'm – the Raiders stink. I'm going with the Seahawks. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Raiders stink. Seahawks. Uh, we have the Los Angeles Rams going into Kansas City to play the 8-2 Chiefs. Number one team in the Jays' opinion right now. Hey, Ed, Rams are struggling. Chiefs all the way, especially in Arrowhead. Dude, and I saw this stat too today. Three and seven's the worst record any team's had after winning the Super Bowl the following season through 10 games. So, yeah, yeah. we called that. They put their eggs in one basket. So, for fans of the LA Rams, at least they won last year because it might be some time. Yeah, I'm going to go with Kansas City too. They're also 14 and a half point favorites. That's crazy. Wow. That's uh, like college shit. Yep. Next up is the New Orleans Saints going into San Francisco to play the 49ers. Uh, who do you like here, the Jay? 
Saints are another one of these NFL teams, man. They show potential certain weeks, look like shit others. 49ers can be like that as well, but they deal with some injuries and stuff. Uh, I, I, you know, Garoppolo, they were just talking about that on this Sunday's broadcast, or I'm sorry, it was uh, Sunday Night Football uh, the 49ers were on. And they were mentioning how Garoppolo gets takes a lot of shit because he's a game manager. You know, he's not your yeah. Patrick Mahomes and these electric guys, but that could be a good tool for, for winning. And, and the whole goal is to win. So, you know, they made some good points there with with uh, Jimmy G being a good game manager. I'm going to stick with the 49ers. Yeah, I'm going to go with the 49ers as well. And the last game of the weekend on Sunday night uh, is the Green Bay Packers uh, taking on the Philadelphia Eagles in Philadelphia. I think the Eagles roll here. Yeah, I'm, I'm big on the Eagles this year, and this matchup isn't going to sway me, uh, especially how much the Packers continue to struggle this year. I think Aaron Rodgers might be done. Yeah, I, that's what I'm looking at as well. I kind of think the same thing. So we will see, but it is time for another commercial break. And whenever we come back, we are going to bring up some tales from the territories this week on the Pacific Northwest, specifically Portland Wrestling. So stay tuned. We'll be back with this on the What's Real Podcast. The IWC, the International Wrestling Cartel, presents the 5th Annual Pittsburgh Classic, Saturday, December 3rd at 7 p.m. from Mark's Court Time at 95 Enterprise Street, Suite 100, Elizabeth, Pennsylvania. Again, that's Saturday, December 3rd at 7 p.m., the IWC's 5th Annual Pittsburgh Classic. And we're back, and it is time once again for Tales from the Territories. This week, all about the Pacific Northwest, specifically Portland wrestling. Specifically. Uh, Pacifically. uh, (laughs) Portland wrestling. And uh, we have another roundtable this week. Of course, we had Mike Masters, the grappler Len Denton, Princess Victoria, and Bushwhacker Luke. Um, Kind of a weird foursome, but it does make sense. Like Len Denton who I know very well, uh, who's very good, dude. The Breakfast Club, top-notch shit right there. Uh, Princess Victoria will be known to people from the Dark Side of the Ring episode on Moolah. Uh, Everybody knows Bushwhacker Luke. And Mike Masters was a good addition to this as well, Um, for like a Portland homegrown kind of guy. This one was pretty interesting. They start off talking about Don Owen, the head of the territory. They didn't tell this story on here. I was a little upset that nobody brought it up. But uh, Roddy Piper was wrestling for Portland before he went to the NWA, and then he would make his way to the WWF in 1984 uh, during the national expansion. Uh, Piper had no problem wrestling wherever except Portland. So anytime the WWF went to Portland, Piper did not wrestle there. He didn't want to be opposition or wrestle opposition to Don Owen. And that's something that they did for Piper. And Piper was in his WWF contract at the time. But when they were ending Portland wrestling, Piper actually got to go back and have some matches and stuff there that, you know, Vince allowed him to do that, uh, which I thought was cool. But Don Owen was known as a promoter, a good promoter, paid pretty well, was dude was pretty fair, uh, and it was a good territory. So... Uh, they talked about him and his brother Elton, uh, who was also one of the uh, the promoters uh, and the the less liked of the two. Um, and they tell a story about him shooting himself in the testicles accidentally. 
Um, you can't talk about Portland without talking about Playboy Buddy Rose. And Playboy Buddy Rose was one of the major focal points of this entire thing. Yeah, for, he's, that was cool. For a couple of reasons. One, obviously, because of his work in the ring as a heel. And the other one, because he was the guy that ended up being the savior of the Portland Tape Library. Cause they, <laughs> yeah, how about that? And, yeah, he would tape all the shows and ended up saving a bunch of stuff from the territory. Um, but they, you know, Don Owen didn't... Um, didn't save the tapes, which was very common. Yeah, that was very common yeah. back then for a lot of stuff. Because it was, yeah, the old school dudes. Like, they don't, you know, they didn't care about footage and shit. Yeah, they didn't think it would last beyond because it was mainly yeah. just to sell live events. And that's what they did. Different mentality. Um, they tell stories. Uh, there's a pretty good story about Buddy Rose getting pulled over. And before the cop came up to the car, he bladed himself. And said yeah, he was, was on, on the way to a hospital, which is totally a, a fucking... You know, a Playboy Buddy Rose heel carny thing to do. Um, also, they talk about the feud between him and Matt Bourne, which featured the real life sister of Matt Bourne, who was married to Playboy Buddy Rose in real life. Um, so they kind of marred real life and storyline a bit uh, to the point where people yeah, even, didn't really know what was real and what wasn't. Even the uh, the round table still kind of talked about that. Yep. And saying that's, how like they weren't even sure because Buddy Rose was such a worker if he fucking married her just just for a run. Yeah, and, <laughs> and same thing with and Matt Bourne was the same way. A guy that a lot of people didn't know how to take him. That's why he, he you know did well as the Doink character. I think that was. Right, I was going to say for those that him. might might not know, he was the original Doink the Clown in the which, best you know, WWE too. Exactly. Yeah, because WWF would own the the character and with the makeup and stuff could use other guys. And they talk a little bit about Princess Victoria. She talks, uh, tells a story about being in a battle royal where uh, her teenage brother essentially tried to stand up to to Buddy Rose in the heels uh, for hurting her uh, because she didn't smart up her family. Um, she also mentions about Roddy Piper, who warned her not to go to Mula to get booked in the WWF. Um, there was a lot of talk about Piper because obviously he is the main guy to ever come out of Portland wrestling. Um, it's unfortunate that he's no longer with us because he would have been a really good person to have on oh, yeah. Um Same thing with Buddy Rose. Um, so you can't, you know, you can't go through this without talking about Piper. Uh, Masters talks about using the full Nelson as his finisher and trying to get heat, specifically on a night where Elton uh, was not there and Don Owen fired him up and told him to get some serious heat. And Elton was the type of guy to complain because he didn't want to get sued. Um, they talk about the wrestling and boxing commissions and how you basically have to deal with them, and as well as the stories of how all of them would eventually leave to greener pastures of the WWF. Um, but overall, this was a pretty decent episode. Like, they didn't get in anything too deep. It just gave you a general... Like, this is one that I felt like they didn't jam everything about a territory into an hour. Uh, they, they were able to really... like. If Piper would have been on this, they probably would have needed more time. But without somebody like him, I thought they covered it as well as they possibly could with what the, you know the experiences they had in the promotion, which Len Denton probably had the most. It was it was well paced. The roundtable had really good chemistry. You know, like you said, it's not your typical known stars. You know, when Bushwhacker Luke is the biggest star on the, the round table. You know, you're getting into some nitty gritty within the professional wrestling industry, but that's what diehards like us 
that, that knows so much like to see, you know, we like, we like to see the, the kind of details and, and, and hear from different people, you know, like, like you said, it was great that, that they had Mike masters on here, like a homegrown Portland guy and, and the grappler Len Denton, who, who that was a, a cool story that one of his initial stories, he talked about how, when he was first booked in Portland as the grappler, his first show of course was in a bowling alley, Yep, you know, and he's thinking like, he couldn't believe this was supposed to be the big time. Uh, but would quickly learn Portland was just a fun place to work really more than anything. And, and as you know, Hey, Ed, your old uh, friend here, the J has worked his fair share of fairs and gymnasiums. So we, we all know how that is. As we say, you got to start somewhere. Uh, so I always like those stories, but then they go on to talk about the Portland sports arena and how was it? There was this old school arena that had a crow's nest. And of course, me as a huge fan of ECW, they would always call their their yep. area up there the nest and the Ravens nest and stuff. And, you know, you think that it comes from ECW and Paulie and a creative place that was ECW. But of course, there was always something first, you know, so Portland having uh, the first time, you know, before ECW even that I would have would hear the, the, the nest kind of explanation. So so that was one of my bullet points that kind of stood off from uh, from Len Denton telling that story. And they also told a really good story about how smart of a guy Don Owen was. Uh, and they used the example of when they shot TV, they never knew the size of the crowd that was going to come for the show, but he was prepared ahead of time. So what he would do is, is whenever people would start coming in for the show, he would just put chairs down. And then what he would eventually do, if the cells weren't that good and they couldn't fill the building, then they would bring the bleachers out, just kind of spread the fans out and made it look really good for TV. Uh, and they even kind of showed an example of this on. Yeah. Uh, and it shows like he's one of those guys that without a doubt was a forward thinker. Like that's the thing, man. Like Vince McMahon basically put all these guys out. And the sad shame of it is, is together a bunch of these guys would have been like a Vince McMahon because, you know, Vern had a lot of good stuff with his television. Don Owen knew stuff about television and how to operate and pay people like the Crockett's were able to, you know, compete with McMahon probably more so than anybody else. So they had, you know, like different guys that if they were all combined, they might have been able to compete with Vince. But the problem is, is Vince was all of those guys rolled into one. That's what ended up being their biggest problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very interesting. And that's how you can go back as somebody, you know, not, not talking about us or anything, right. But somebody listening, like a young buck that might be getting into promotion and stuff like how you could learn, you know, how to think ahead and kind of how to improv and stuff like that, you know, to, to help your product. It's like, I love hearing those kind of stories. Uh, my, my next bullet point, Hey Ed, was back to Matt Bourne, where at the time they were getting in trouble with the commission. I think you were alluding this, to this earlier and, you know, they were talking about not being able to, to bleed and, and have any blood in matches and things like that. So at this one point, Matt Bourne had a match and had no time for the commission. And so he promised the bloodiest match ever. And he told those in charge, though, that oh, I'm just this is just a way to sell tickets. I'm not really going to bleed. And then sure enough, he cuts himself like super deep and is just pouring blood everywhere. <laughs> and he's telling everybody that he, he did it the hard way. Like, I think Len Denton said, yeah, he came to the back. Like, I did it the hard way, Len. And the grappler's like, yeah. And he's like, the shit you did. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, so workers working workers, brother. And, and it got them shut down for over a week by the commission, too. Because, yeah. you know, the commissions didn't fucking play. Some of them still don't play to this day. So, uh, but yeah, it's this one was a really good look at like old school territory wrestling, I thought. Like, 
It exactly. Wasn't as, it wasn't as flashy as Memphis and stuff, but that's the thing that I liked about it because not all of them were like that. So it's like it gives you a good idea of how these territories were different and how they had to operate in different places, uh, you know, around the United States. So, um, but yeah, definitely a good episode. I thought one of the better ones of the season for sure, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Really fun episode. I just had a couple more things on it. Hey, uh, the the one part was funny because hardcore wrestling is is such a known commodity right now such a niche part of the business whether you hate it love it or in between all that kind of stuff and the death matches and everything and for those that don't know the bushwhackers luke and butch were the were they the uh sheep herders sheep herders yep and and we're, we're like one of the guys that he revolutionized hardcore wrestling even you know we always reference ecw way before ecw and things like that and luke and this is laughing that you know like we're saying he was hardcore before hardcore was cool and then went to WWF and became a cartoon. And he said, uh, you know, fans would always ask him how he could do that. And he's like, it's <laughs> money. easy money. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know, it's like, of course I'll, I'll go up there and, and be a cartoon. I'm not cutting my head in half every night. You know, I'm just doing vignettes and like goofy things. Cause they said, showed some footage, uh, which is always funny. And, and then the final thing I had, Hey, Ed, it was a really cool aspect of this episode like you were alluding to with this being a really cool, like specific territory kind of thing. And and just a really good story about a a territory with, with kind of a reputation and just a product in and of itself. And and that sort of thing is very unique to to the Pacific Northwest kind of the way it ran up there was, was the end of it. And of course the death of the territory, because they start talking about how, of course, Vince McMahon was expanding and the guys like, you know, the grappler. And, and of course, Luke was already going to WWF and even Princess Victoria and, and uh, the grappler saw the writing on the wall and, and just knew. Uh, but they did like a little piece on this where they were talking about the, the death of the ter- territory and how it happened and how they started losing the, the cable TV show and everything. But they do bring up the fact that they made it all the way until 1992. And, and like uh, Bushwhacker uh, Luke said, he's like, you know, the territory in, in Oregon lasted longer than most to, to make it to the 90s. He's like, most of them died down in the 70s and 80s when, when Vince started break, busting everything up. I mean, WrestleMania 1, as we always say, it's a good timeline kind of point happened in 85, you know, and Portland was still going as its own territory up until 92. So, yep. you know, a nice little story there. And then I was mentioned to the, this off air and I was like, you know what? I want to leave this for the show. So I didn't bring it up to you, but I was kind of shocked because watching this, I, like we, we have talked about throughout this review, it was really cool that they had Mike Masters, whose real uh, life name was Michael Jones. And he actually passed away yeah. not too far after I they taped this. I didn't know that until I was watching it. Hey, that's what I mean. I was shocked. Yeah. I felt really bad because like, he seemed really in really good shape and really yep. good health. Yeah, he didn't uh, but seem it, like he was super old or anything. Right. You know? it, but uh, according to what I had read, that he passed away from throat cancer uh, this past August. So definitely a, a rest in power, as we say, on, on what's real for Michael Jones, a.k.a. Mike Masters uh, from the Portland Territory and the the professional wrestling industry. So that was, that was a sad way to end things, but nonetheless, like you say, Hey Ed, uh, this was a really good one. Really fun. Uh, just, uh, as, as I, I say, there's not much better way to put it. I say this a lot, but it, it sticks out to me with pacing and things that this was just a breezy, breezy watch for the J. Yeah. I felt the same way. Definitely one of the better episodes I thought of the season of, uh, tales from the territory. So 
that's about it for this segment. Don't forget to join us next week on the show. We're going to take a look at Tales from the Territories, world-class championship wrestling. So the Von Erics, and there's going to be a lot of crazy stuff to talk about there. Uh, this is going to be one that's going to be hard to pack in one episode, so I'm curious to see how they do this one. But uh, So check for that next week here on the program. But we are up against another commercial break, and whenever we come back, it is time once again for Fridays at Midnight. This week, we're going to check out a friend of ours movies, uh, movie, I should say, from 2020. This is the remake of the classic anti-drug film, Blood Freak. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. Step right up. Friday's at midnight here. We got all the finest women in the world. We got all the kind of craziest stuff you've ever seen. Hey, buddy, what about you? Why don't you come on into Friday's at midnight and see what the world beholds? Hey, what kind of wares do you have? What kind of place is this? This looks pretty unique. Tracy, you want to check this out? You like hot women? You like crazy people? What about murder? We got that too. Cartoon characters, stupidity, just about everything you guys want to see. Come on in. Just a small fee, if you will. Sorry, Tracy. I love all these things. I'm leaving you. You stay here. Here it is, sir. All right. Head on in. All right. Fridays at midnight, everybody. What's Real Podcast. Join us next week for one of the craziest movie segments in podcasting. Fridays at midnight. And we're back, and it is time for another week of Fridays at Midnight. This week, we are going back to 2020 uh, with a dim-witted biker transformed into a drug-addicted turkey monster in the remake of the 1972 anti-drug film, This is Blood Freak, uh, directed by none other than Dan Boyd and Tim Gross, written by Dan Boyd, who are friends of ours, by the way. Uh, this movie is fucking funny. Um, I know a lot of people that don't really like the, the original blood freak, but I do. Um, but this is better actually. Um, I'm not just saying that cause they're friends of ours either. I was kind of like, you know, like iffy about it to begin with. Cause I do like the original, but no, they, uh, they nailed this one, man. It's fucking funny. It's good. It's of course, super low budget. Um, but you know, you get some good performances in this one. And like, I was laughing my ass off watching this. Oh, dude. I, we said it's it's such a, a tough perspective because of just the natural bias we have with our friends being the creators of this. However, the other side of it too is we are lifelong film fans. We are also involved in independent film. We, we've done our things as well on personal levels. So we'll call a spade a spade too, you know, because I could tell you from my own work that I respect true uh, constructive criticism, of yep. course, you yep. know. Um, so I will call out Dan and Tim on on whatever. However, going going into something like this, when you know about the project as well, and and not only personally what it takes to do something, but you know their story on what it took to put together and that they did this whole thing for probably a few thousand dollars, maybe five grand max. Then when you have the filmmaker kind of respect and eye, you kind of see it in a different way. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I, like somebody else that I might tell, like just use exa an example, like my, my cousins that are into film that, that don't know Tim or Dan from Adam. They've never met Tim or Dan. And 
say I, I don't even tell them that I know the guys that made this movie and I just say, oh, check this out. This is a local Pittsburgh film. Let me know what you think. The first thing that they're probably going to say is all the typical things. You know, well, it was terrible acting. Like it was the sound was bad. It was just so low budget. And, and I understand that side of it too. But my whole point to this is like when you can see past that and kind of give that other eye on it and perspective and know kind of how this was put together, then you could kind of sit back and just enjoy it for what it is. And to your point, that is a very funny laugh out loud moment movie because I was I was the same way, man. There was there were so many times where I was just cracking up at these guys. And again, we have to say not just because they're they're our friends or something like we, we might have the same sense of humor and have kind of the, the inside joke on certain things. But, and you know, even uh, more people in this personally than I do, I know about four of the people involved in this. Uh, I know, you know, probably like six or seven. Uh, and if not even more. the people, <laughs> well, even the people I don't know is my point. Like the, the main dude, like I never, never met him. Chuck, Chuck Connors is uh, Herschel yeah. and uh, he's just hilarious <laughs> in it. And it's, he plays the part perfectly. Talk about a dim-witted biker. It, it's <laughs> and, funny. and Yinzer on top of it. Because, dude, Chuck's one of the funniest people I know. Like, Chuck's really a funny-ass dude. Like, and that's, in it, you know, the girl that, fucking the religious girl that he picks up? Yeah. That's his wife. Shayna. Yes. She's really good in it, considering, like, she's kind of, like, reserved, generally speaking. So, like, it's fun. Like, there's a few people like that in the movie that are that are like that in real life, but... Now I got a kick. Like I thought, everybody like understood the assignment. You know what I mean? Like there's nobody that felt like out of place. Like somebody's fucking uncle in a movie or something. Like everybody's pretty much on point. Like they, you got to kind of ham it up in their movies because everybody is like a character. Like there's no just random fucking guy. Everybody's an actual character. Um, but that makes the movie fun too. And I didn't think that the production values in this were bad at all. Like especially considering the level of movie that it is like I've seen significantly worse from people that have considerable money. So, uh, you know, they're getting better at the stuff that they're doing because they previously made Jagoff massacre before this and they've continued to make stuff after. Uh, but you know, I definitely enjoyed this one. I thought it was really funny. Um, it, and it was, like I said, it, the, I liked the original blood freak. So for me, this one's like, okay, let's see what they're going to do with this. But like, no, I got the point. Like it's, it's one of the, it's a really good thing for them to actually remake um, because of what it is. It's, and, and even like the, the turkey head it, that somebody made, by the way, for the movie, I think Dan's aunt made it, made it for the actual movie or maybe his mom. I forget which one it was, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, there, there is certain care and love put into it from people. And it's it's made to be fucking goofy. That's the point. Uh, and it works because of that. So uh, playing it straight, I don't think that's kind of the way the original movie did it. I don't think that really worked very well. No. At all. So the fact that they did do it the way that they do it. And yeah, there's a there's a lot of breaking the fourth wall where like the guys will reference themselves as characters in a yep. movie and things like that. Yeah, it clearly isn't taking itself too seriously at all. Exactly. But it works. Like the comedy and it's good. Um I think people obviously from Pittsburgh cuz there's a Pittsburgh flair to everything that they make. Um I mean they are called Drunken Yinzers Productions, so uh you're going to have that. But the people from Pittsburgh will appreciate it. I also think people that can appreciate the type of movie that Blood Freak is will be able to appreciate what they tried to do in remaking it. 
I agree. And and what was behind that? It was it's one of those situations where the original Blood Freak um, is in public domain. I'm assuming. Well, to a degree, it's like everybody that owns stake in it's dead. So, and they tried, they were looking into it and everything. And like, they kept coming up to dead ends. So they just kind of made it and there it is. Like, yeah, it's like, we'll pay for whatever. If you can show your somebody that owns rights other than that. Well, and you know, we how, remake. Too. Like, how, <laughs> how much money have we made from this movie guys? You want to, well, cut exactly. It yeah. Like, good, good luck. You know, yeah. that kind of a thing. But, but no, I mean, I thought that, you know, that it's, you're starting to see them like if, at least for me because like with jagoff massacre that was their first movie um it looks yeah, which we've both it, seen it, which i like but it looks like someone's first movie so like you're seeing the improvements here i do kind of like the fact because we've known other people that do this too that make movies but like they definitely have like an ensemble cast like they have a group of friends that they work with and they're gonna be in their stuff and it, they work well that way and everybody kind of like you know they get put into areas and roles that they can do well and everybody kind of exceeds at it, which is really good. So, and everybody kind of has like a pretty unique personality. So like knowing the people, I get why it works. Exactly. Yeah. Cause, cause that always helps when you have the straight person with angel, you know, and it's, it's just funny because she's like this Christian that loves Jesus and everything in, in the midst of all these just crazy characters, you know? So you always have to have that, that straight character, the, yeah. the dry character to bounce things off of, or then, then, it, then it wouldn't work. It'd be just completely too much and kind of imbalanced, you know? So they do that pretty well, well with her. And there's just, you know, so many funny gags and everything. Cause eventually Herschel finds himself addicted to a potent strain of ganja known as Sacagawea gold, <laughs> you know, and that's what leads into everything. And, and it is, it's, it's really funny. And and I mentioned to you, Hey Ed, uh, Tim had given me a copy or I even bought a copy. I always try to support him. Uh, Tim supports, has always supported me. Uh, you know, he's fucking like family to us, you know that. And uh, so, you know, he gave me the copy and I, I watched it when it, when it had come out a couple of years ago during, during the pandemic, of course, you know, there's 2020 movies. And so uh, I haven't watched it since then. And as I talk about here on the show is my tradition, even movies I've watched a million times. Typically, if we're going to talk about them, it just gives me an excuse to watch them. And I know I'm going to talk about them. So I'm like, even though I could tell you certain movies freaking frame to frame, it will still be fresh in my head. So the point is I, I popped Jagoff Massacre in uh, the other day. I just finished it earlier today. And, no, Blood Freak. You know, Blood Freak. Or I'm sorry. Yeah, Blood Freak. And, you know, even just rewatching it for the first time in a while, you know, kind of held up to me, you know, like, yeah. and that, that, that was a nice, a nice test. And it, it just, again, there's just so many parts that, that stand out that are just, just hilarious. And, and I just implore anybody that's listening that may not be involved. If, if you're far outside of Pittsburgh and you happen to be here in the what's real podcast, talk about blood freak, you know, give it, it's, it's out there. You can find it, give it a whirl. If you're the type of film goer that can get past the, the budgetary constraints, you're not worried about who's in it. And you just want to see, again, it's the, the, the people that, that really love film and that, take matters in their own hands and with very little money and, and whatever resources they have and that's, have a good time and have fun and, and you're drinking on set. And that's kind of what we did starting off too, with some of our first things and until we got to a different kind of level that, that we're at and, and 
you know, our, our own personal journey uh, with my film company, Churchill Pictures. But my point is rewatching it too. Hey, I had no joke earlier. And, and this is a, a big pat on the back to Dan and Tim and everybody involved. Uh, shout out another mutual friend of ours, uh, another person I know in this Charlie Fleming that, that plays Pops, you know, the father of the girls. Um, it inspires me. It, it really does. It, it makes me, you know, again, we're at a certain position right now. I, I have my hand in certain projects that, that have some some budgets and are, are being worked on. So I'm tied up in those right now. But this kind of movie gives me the the kind of motivation. Like, you know, if, if worse comes to worse, dude, I, I'd go back to the grassroots and just just do it with my friends, you know, because that's how we started. Yeah. And, and that's what this kind of brings out. You know, so I wanted to shout that out because it, it was inspiring to me to, to just be like, you know, you could it's like you could tell they were having fun, you know, and you almost wanted to be involved. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're, these are some of the best people I know that do this kind of stuff. So I'm always happy to support them. Um, I generally like the stuff that they do. So that's always like an awkward situation because that's not always guaranteed. But, you know, everything that they, they put out generally comes past me and I enjoy it. So and I wouldn't just say that here on the show. If this is stuff I didn't like, I would tell you guys flat no, out. Ed, Ed would or definitely, we, yeah, or like, we wouldn't talk about it at all because that's just right. easier. But and, and that's why I thought it was perfect, you know, with the, of course, turkey head gimmick and it being our, our Thanksgiving spectacular yes, uh, this week with episode 141 of What's Real as we drop on Black Friday this week. So, yeah, I thought it was great for their Fridays at midnight to show our boys that support us some support with Drunken Yinzer's Productions and their remake of Blood Freak. Uh, but, yeah, big props to uh, Dan and Tim, uh, Charlie, everybody involved. Uh, it made a just hilarious movie. You guys had fun doing it and, and put together some some fun, just crazy shit. So it's always good to see. And if you guys are listening and you'd like to check out the movie, you can pick up a copy at Drunken Yinzer's Productions. Just Google it. Their website will come up. You can get a copy for 13 bucks. Super cheap. Definitely worth it, especially if you want something a little bit different. Uh, that's, you know, definitely funny and a good time. Uh, you could pick up a copy there. So hope you guys enjoyed our latest installment of Fridays at Midnight. Uh, we are up against another quick commercial break. And whenever we come back, we're going to be talking some goofs and we're going to wrap up the show. So stay tuned, everybody. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. The blue-eyed line himself and the blood flow and flesh spewing on the mic as I can only spew for this ad for Churchill Pictures and in turn its website, churchillpictures.com. We are Churchill Pictures, established from the bond of two childhood friends. We envision creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. The most recent of our two feature films, The Unsung, is now available to own as we are in a partnership with distributor Bayview Entertainment, and they are helping us put this great art out to the world so help support, share the word, spread the word, and thanks as always for any and all support. Go to Vimeo.com to rent or buy streaming on Vimeo. Go to the awesome platform Amazon Prime. Rent or buy on Amazon at Amazon Prime, AmazonPrime.com. Or purchase the DVD for you collectors out there. You can buy the DVD from Walmart through Walmart.com or buy the DVD from DeepDiscountDVD.com. That's DeepDiscountDVD.com for the unsung hope lives in the shadows. Check out churchillpictures.com to check out the trailer and all information today. Churchill Pictures, we create worlds. Hey everybody, this is Herman James for the What's Real Podcast, and I'm here to just let you know to welcome you to Goofs or Goofs. 
And we're back, and it's that time once again. So, the Jay, what do we got this week on the goof front? Uh, hey, yeah, just a nice stroll down here. The moonlit sky here at the beautiful lagoon right down from the What's Real Studios. The jumping dolphins splashing around. The turkeys are all dead, ready for Thanksgiving <laughs> this week. They're dead rest, rest in power, turkeys. But welcome to the ever-flowing waterfall of goofs in episode 141, has them all as usual here on the double R question mark. The, the first one is this idiot. I downed 12 energy drinks in 10 minutes. And guess what happened to him? Hey, Eo. his heart exploded. His pancreas ate itself. Oh, that's even this, better. This is a yeah, true story. And uh, he said, I am fat and no, I can drink this many energy drinks without my pancreas get, getting that messed up. But Steven Seagal's energy drinks haven't been around since 2005. And that's what I believe I drank. He drank a fucking 17 year old energy drink made Ten by of Steven them. Seagal. 10 of them. Or 12 of them. Yeah, that's horrible. My Lord. So, the fuck? you know, we said rest in peace to the turkeys, rest in peace to, to this idiot's pancreas. Yeah. Dude, I this agree. this one had me cracking up. This was from uh, Historic Vids at History and Memes. So this is and this is true. Disney hired some little people to dress as Pinocchio and wave at people at the premiere of Pinocchio. They left them on a balcony with enough food and wine for the day. But of course, hey, Ed, by late afternoon, they were all naked. They were all naked. The costumes were too hot, (laughs) drunk and screaming swear words at people. That's what I'd want. (laughs) Can you imagine that? The premiere of Pinocchio. There's all these drunk little people yeah. naked. Like, you fuck it. You want to go see Pinocchio? Take a look at my Pinocchio. I'm lying right now. And my nose is growing too. Yeah. Look how many lies I'm telling today, baby. <laughs> I don't know if you caught the, uh, the one post where Facebook or... That's too generalized, but that's how the article puts it. Idiot, the Jay's going to be more specific. Idiots on Facebook convinced that time travel is real after a cell phone was spotted in a World War II pick. And I just, as we do, I just sent you the uh, the pick on Twitter uh, so you can see what you think about it. Hey, Ed, but it's one of those things where like it could be photoshopped. It could be fucking anything in the dude's hands, but everybody's making this whole big deal about it where this is like proof for time travel, you know, cue Michael J. Fox. Got to go back in time. Yeah. But yeah. If you're, you're an idiot, if you believe that in the Jay's earnest opinion. Yeah. Fox, if you will. These yeah. Fox. I mean, do you think time travel is real from seeing the photo I sent you? Hey, you No. I mean, I hope it is, but it's not. This next one, dude. I don't know if you stumbled on this because this was uh, a viral story. It was, of course, I pulled it from TMZ. Uh, Tyson Tyson Food CFO. Body cam video shows Goldilocks arrest. Cops huff and puff and then cuff. So the Tyson Food Air, you know, Tyson Foods that has like the uh, turduckens. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Cops have released body cam footage. That Tyson (laughs) Yeah, that Tyson Food. Not so... Not the one Mike Tyson owns. Uh, but yeah, it's the, the most entertaining arrest in months per TMZ when an heir to the Tyson Foods fortune got so wasted, he pulled what they call a Goldilocks that got him busted. It's far from heinous. In fact, it's kind of relatable for anybody who's been blackout drunk 
as he got so drunk, he entered a house, not his own, meandered to the bedroom, got in bed and passed out. Yeah. I mean, we've all been there, but not at strangers houses. The 32-year-old Harvard slash Stanford grad, of course, they're going to throw that in, ended up in the bed of a female college student. She wasn't there and began to snooze. It went down in Fayetteville, Arkansas earlier this month. The woman called the cops and they realized it was John after pulling his ID out of his pocket. They tried to rouse him with little success. <laughs> like, dude, you're in, the, you're in the wrong bed. Like, I don't know. I'm good here. Yeah. In the footage obtained by Vice News, John finally sits up but decides it's way too much of an effort and lays back down. You hear a cop say, John, I need you to wake up and talk to me before I drag you out of here butt naked. The he doesn't can't really cooperate. So three cops yank him out of bed in his boxers. And then he's like perched over in the uh, cop car, like in boxer shorts. Yeah. Just gets- apologizing. Thank- thanks, police, for protecting and serving. Yeah. Thanks, Tyson Foods. Through food. And then as TMZ says, there was no malice here. So John will be okay. Besides, he's probably going to get away more Instagram followers now. Dude's good looking. So there you go. But yes, speak speak for yourselves, TMZ. Yeah, seriously. Looks like uh, John Ray's Davies. <laughs> <laughs> and not the good looking one, the one that played the uh, dwarf in <laughs> Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Dude, did you see this? Because I actually caught it live on Sunday. The Minnesota Vikings were tricked into celebrating a porn star on the Jumbotron. Johnny Sins. No, I missed this. <laughs> Yeah, Kyle sent this in. It's there's a picture of him on the jumbotron. He's in an army outfit before he's fucking like not a real army outfit, but it looks like he's like in an army outfit. But he's in a a bedroom doorway. But I guess they didn't pick up on it just because he's in an army outfit. But it's it's in one that he like takes off the outfit and just starts getting blown. But the 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 dude sent the thing to the Vikings and it says at Vikings, this is my cousin Joel who served in the army. He has always been an inspiration and someone I look up to for his heroism. He is also a huge in all caps Vikings fan. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag skull salute. And it's Johnny sins, which is goddamn hilarious. Yeah, that's good. I was dying. Uh, Um, We just got a couple more. Um, This one's stupid, but I thought I'd throw it at you. We love my husband. Exactly. It's goose or goose. My husband has sex somnia. So have you ever heard of sexomnia? So this dude just fucks while he's sleeping. Yeah, he has sex with me while he's asleep. And I, and I I have a couple I obviously will not out, out on the show, but they're the the reverse. The the wife's sleeping. So really? I would always I would always joke to Katie. Oh yeah. Okay, I want to know who this is. I want to find this oh, yeah, out. I'll tell you tell you off air. That's amazing. Um, so the last one is this was the the big news story of the day, and we love animals here on the What's Real podcast and GRG. So I had to throw it at you because it's huge news. It's on everything. The largest goldfish in history has been caught in the past week. A sixty-seven point four pound goldfish. What dubbed carrot? Yeah, because dude, you know how like you'll you'll with the internet. Obviously, you just see all these things, and you're like, dude, it's. You look, it doesn't take you two seconds and you're like, yeah, this is Photoshopped horse shit. Yeah. I thought this was one of those things until it popped up on fucking everything and it's, and it's legit. Um, but yeah, it's a 67.4 pound goldfish dubbed carrot. It was caught by a, and I'll show you that you need the visual. Hey, Ed, and, and your reaction as we do on, on GRG. So just sent to you. Uh, but, uh, 
fisherman Andy Hackett at Blue Water Lakes in the Champagne region of France, or as we say here on the What's Real podcast, in the Champagne region France. Wow. Witching hour. I can't even do the terrible French accent. Hey, Ed. This thing's Champagne region of France. This majestic creature was released back into the water following the catch. Yeah, can you imagine scuba diving and seeing that? Well, I just think, too, like, oh, this was released back into the water. I'm like, yeah, and there's some fucking super predator that's going to be thrilled with eating the fuck out of that fat fucking thing. Yeah, seriously, 67.4-pound goldfish. And, you know, cue all the, oh, that's the one my mom flushed down the toilet in 89. Naturally, yeah. You got to have that. It ended up in Champagne, France. Champagne, France. <laughs> but as I say to my brother from another mother, between 67-pound goldfish, dwarves getting naked and drunk at the Pinocchio premiere, and everything else we talked about, I'm exhausted. I can't run through it. But we all know goofs are goofs. So if you guys have something you'd like to add to the show, you probably don't though uh, you can send it to us through email at what's real pod at gmail.com again that is what's real pod at gmail.com if you're listening on itunes give us five stars because we're the shit it helps us so please do that uh you can listen to us on all your favorite podcasting platforms such as apple itunes spotify podbean google podcast and each and every week on churchillpictures.com or wherever you get your podcasts but before we get out of here hear the j revving it up so the j take it away Revving it up like I'm a 67.4 pound goldfish dubbed carrot. Hey, eel. But I love the show, man. I, I am so happy that we're here together on Thanksgiving celebrating. We're going to be like the Who's in Whoville even before the Christmas season, singing around the turkey that we killed and slaughtered and maimed and are about to eat. Devour. We're going to devour. Devour, destroy. You need that that protein and what's it called? Hype the glycerine. Trip the fan. Tryptophan, I was close. But yeah, I love the show. My shout outs as I need to do to our awesome producer, the wizard behind the boards himself. Thank you, Cam, each and every week for your consistency. 16K sound stands out the What's Real podcast. Thanks to you. To my brother, hey, happy Thanksgiving to you and the fam. Uh, To you too, Cam, have a great Thanksgiving. And to all you out there hearing the Jay's voice, happy Thanksgiving to you all. I'm thankful if you're hearing me right now. Much love. We'll be back, and you'll hear the J next week. So that is about it for us this week here on episode 141. Of course, shout out to you, the, the Cam, our producer of the show, for all the hard work you put in for us here. And as we know on the program, nobody beats the Wiz. And the J, clang, clang, brother. Clang, clang. Take that title and put it around the turkey bird this Thanksgiving because we are still undefeated. We are still the podcast tag team champions of the universe. So that is about it for us this week here on episode 141. Thank you guys for listening. And don't forget to join us next week on episode 142 and beyond. So stay safe, stay healthy, and happy Thanksgiving. And we'll see you here next week on the What's Real Podcast. What's real?